friends, we are back with another episode of Bradeshwar Diaries, documenting the journey and dilemmas of a millennial parent. This is brought to you by iCafe Podcasts, born with the collaboration of Tell Me Your Story and Zero Hour Entertainment. I am Koral Das Gupta, your host, and I look forward to an episode which must give me a lot of pleasure and you a lot of information. Today, I'm sitting with Lena Asher. She is the founder of Kangaroo Kids and Billabong High School. Welcome to Bradeshwar Diaries, Lena. Hi, thank you so much, Koral. Lena, what are your Bradeshwar Diaries? I ask this to every guest that I have, that everybody has some fun incidents in their lives with their children and you run a school, so you have many children. So tell me about some fun experiences that you have had and let's take it from there. Oh, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Little things, you know, when we teach kids about evaporation, a mom came to me and said, um, her, she was very excited. She said, her son now hounds her every morning and says, hurry up and drink your tea before it evaporates, mom. <laughs> so, yeah, stuff like that to, you know, obviously lots of stuff my own son has done. He's 29 now. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, this is not um, as uh, as humorous as it is touching Um, but um, it was at the age of four when one day you know my son who is eating um, uh, chicken tikka and uh, fish fingers these were his two favorites and he one day just looked up at me and he said mama how would you like it if somebody killed me and ate me and I said "Uh, I wouldn't like it he said what would you do I said I'd be crying saying I can hear this chicken's mummy crying for him and he turned vegetarian from that day onwards but these are just insights into how you know how how much, how deeply kids can actually think without us, you know, even considering that they have that level of depth of thought. Yeah, that was probably not something that you had put into your put into his head, but it was totally his thought. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I always tell parents, you know, that watch out for your kid's own blueprint. Mm. Um, He's born with a blueprint or she's born with a blueprint. And before we superimpose our um, plan of the world and our plan of their lives and uh, mapping everything, um, we should be sensitive and uh, conscious about their own blueprint. Absolutely. You know, that is just what we want to cover in this episode that uh, as a mother, I have a seven year old now, he'll be uh, eight this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a lot of times when uh, I have felt or I talk to a lot of parents who are in that in the same space as mine. And we do have this very strong consciousness that we want to we want our children to grow up the best. We want our children to be the genius. But having said that, are we the right kind of parents or do we even deserve to be the great parents that uh, parenting is a very big term. It's a very big job. Yeah, it's funny, you know, we don't we need licenses to do almost everything in the, under this planet, you know, whether we want to be a teacher or even yes. a, a, to, to drive a car. We need, you know, validation that we've got the competency in that area exactly. before we we're allowed to engage Whereas parenting is one area where, you know, you can just be a parent. You can just be a parent and <laughs> you need, there are no prerequisites. You don't have to have proof that you, you're yeah. competent enough. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why we have so many broken human beings running around as adults. Um, True that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when I look at myself or anybody for that matter, uh, if they do a very a strong check of themselves, uh, we are so flawed as individuals. Having said that, obviously, we would not like our children to grow up with the same flaws. As much as good parenting we want to give them, we also want our children not to inherit the bad things about us, right? Earlier, probably people were not that conscious. Now, now at least we are. So uh, that is exactly where we have based this episode on that we want to know from you a lot about how to 
stop ourselves from parenting in places where we should not. So the ideal way is to go out and heal yourself in all the areas you feel <laughs> you're, you're, you're not healed. So I, I don't like to use the word, I mean, I, I um, it's not so much broken as areas where we're wounded mm. as, uh, um, you know, and, and most of that wound, most of those wounds we carry from our own childhood. Absolutely. Um, so the best way to be a fabulous parent is actually to heal those wounds. Mm. And through healing those wounds, you will actually do the right thing by your child anyway. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's where we feel uh, less than worthy, where we try and make sure our kids are more than worthy mm. um, without realizing where, um, you know, we're sort of almost superimposing our sense of what is worthy on onto them. Mm. So if if we can heal those areas of our own existence, um, um, and and not all, all of these wounds are intentional wounds. Um, I'll give you an example. Of, uh, you know, for myself, um, as I went to start healing wounds, um, I realized there was a recurring pattern I had in my life, uh, and that was basically whenever I did something my dad didn't like, he'd stop talking to me. And that would really cut me up very deeply. I did, and I couldn't figure out why it would trigger me so badly. And uh, then obviously, you know, I repeated that pattern through different relationships, you know. So my ex-husband, whenever I did something he didn't like, he'd stop talking to me and so forth and so forth. Till I went back, I actually did the journey with Brandon Bays. And, you know, you sit around the campfire and you figure out what your wounds are. And I came to understand that my wound came from the time my parents left me in India, they were living in Africa at the time and they left me in India because I needed to be in, in frog plaster and they couldn't take care of me there. So they left my mom left me with her mom. But as a child, you take that as a sense of abandonment. Yes. You do not understand. Uh, you don't have the uh, the senses and the filters to, uh, you know, rationalize the reason why it's happened mm. as a child. It just it becomes a trauma. Mm. And now that's not a intentional trauma. It's not a real trauma. It's perceived trauma, but it still yeah. affected all of my adult relationships throughout, you know, till I went back and I healed that. Now, you know, if my dad doesn't talk to me, I don't really care. And then exactly what happens is, is the power that somebody wields over you that triggers you so badly. Um, when it doesn't trigger you, the triggers actually stop. You know, that people stop doing that because it doesn't have the, the, same, impact. the same core, you know, the same effect that they, their subconscious had desired. Now, from, from wherever my dad's wounds came, um, you know. And, and so obviously these are things that I take into um, when I'm advising parents on parenting, you know, mm. because a parent asked me how long should I not talk to my kid for for all the various <laughs> things he does and I said the first thing is we're not here we, we're not supposed to if the child's never supposed to feel unloved mm. the child's actions or behavior can be pointed out as um, not correct but the child himself or herself should never ever be unloved mm. it's, it's it's the unconditional acceptance that the child seeks and that the child must be given mm. um, so you can always point out that you know um, you don't if you know if your older son pinches your younger son you don't say hey you're a bad boy and you know um, you would say when that behavior happens he gets hurt so you know why don't we think of if, if you're angry, let's think of another constructive way of channelizing that anger mm. somewhere else. So, yeah, so these are things that, you know, um, as I said, they're just everything is not an intentional pain that has uh, befallen us. Some of it is in, unintentional, but it still sits there till we mm. heal it. You know, you say it's something very powerful and I would uh, like to keep our discussion a little bit over there. You just said that if you have some wounds in your life, heal it. How do you do that? 
Uh, lots and lots of different. I mean, uh, the reason I ask this to you is, not everybody would believe in going to an ashram, going uh, to a secluded place and doing it. Because I know that uh, a lot of foundations do these courses, do these. Now, not everybody will have the time, one. Not everybody will have the belief. Is there something that people can do at their personal level to reach there? So one is, um, if you can work out the patterns that are not helpful, hmm. right, in your life. Um, and, and you can then figure out where the trigger comes from. Hmm. Then you ha basically have to go back and, and re-pattern uh, that. Now, that can be done through hypnosis, that can be done through, I mean, if you, if a lot of meditation, mm. it can also be done if you're really mindfully aware, you know, it's like for, for example, say for, for example, we know as women that before our menstrual cycle hits, we're going to have that emotional turbulence. Mm. Yeah. Just the awareness of that. And if we know that this is the time that it's going to occur, if we're mindful of that, when somebody says something rather than us reacting, mm. we will pause, reflect, and then respond from the knowledge that we're actually in this place that's not great for us at the moment. Mm. So, um, yes, everyone doesn't have to go, um, you know, there's a lot of self-help gurus out yeah. there like Anthony Robbins and John Martini, and um, there's a lot of reading you can do. Um, so everyone doesn't have to go there itself. But if you can just be aware of the patterns that are not working and if you can actually love yourself unconditionally. Mm. I think the biggest thing is for us not to be our own worst critics and constantly, you know, I'm just, I'm doing a parenting um, series, uh, video series. And the thing I'm doing, talking about right now was just, um, creating the content for is the inner critic mm. or he can be an inner he can be an inner cheerleader or an inner critic mm. now that depends on how we've been spoken to when we're children how big have we built either the monster yeah. or the guardian angel you know um, and uh, very often it's it's because we're unkind to ourselves and that when we judge ourselves so harshly we tend to judge others very harshly because we want to kind of um we want to be okay when we compare ourselves to others. Hmm. True that. Elena, one question I'm sure everybody must have asked you, but uh, it's a very pertinent question, which is that children today are exposed to so much of information. There's an information overload. We are constantly worried that how are they processing the information? You have, I mean, I'm talking about one child and you have too many. How do you deal, deal with this? So we actually build it into um, the instructional design that we do. So, mm -hmm. for example, even if kids understand that for anything that you're looking at, there's going to be different perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. So if it's a younger child, so say um, at the preschool age, you tell them the old Indian chief Cherokee story where, you know, an Indian Cherokee chief is sitting and telling his grandson that I've got two wolves inside my head. Mm -hmm. One wolf is about greed and anger and jealousy and so he lists all the negative uh, traits that are you know possible in, in in humans and then he goes the second wolf is all about love and compassion and Fear. forgiveness and you know non-judgment and all the other things that we all aspire to be as human beings and he says these two wolves are constantly fighting in my head mm. and then the chair the grandson asks which wolf wins he says whichever wolf i feed which is basically very simply telling kids that whichever thoughts you give 
more weightage to are the thoughts that will persist in your head. So that's for a younger age group. Then you go to like primary school kids and you say, okay, you know, you tell them the two salesmen story, which is that, you know, two salesmen set off from America uh, to Africa to assess the potential of setting up a shoe factory. And one writes back saying, no opportunity, nobody wears shoes. And the second one writes back, fabulous opportunity, nobody wears shoes. Mm. And then you have a discussion with the kids as to how that could come to being, that both kids are looking at exactly the same thing mm. and how does it that they both see it so differently mm. yeah so you can look at opportunity or you can look at obstacles wherever you go then you know you go to um, a slightly older age group mm. and you talk about uh, twin sons who are born to an alcoholic father one turns out to be an alcoholic and the other one turns out to be very successful and you know fulfilled and and all the things you know, most of us aspire to be. And when both, when a journalist asked both the kids this question, how did you, how did you turn out to be this way? The, their answer was identical. Look at my father. How could I be any different? Right. So mm. it's everything it, it, that anything you look at, you choose to look at it one way or the other. Mm. And you can look at it in a way that's empowering, that makes you a victor. Or you can look at it in a way that's disempowering and makes you a victim. Mm. And then you go to, you know, an even um, a slightly older age group. And um, so there's always, with slightly older age groups, you you know, during the history lesson, we get them to understand, you know, history is not written, history is somebody's story, right? Mm. And it comes with its own baggage and perceptions. And so if you look at this Indian textbook and the chapter about the partition, now I want you to rewrite it as a Pakistani textbook author for a Pakistani classroom. Mm. Now, immediately as they start doing all the research, not only do they have to have mastery over the content, but they have to start looking at something from somebody else's point of view. Absolutely. Right. So that that the empathy and that the perspective that under just the understanding that the truth is very rarely absolute. I mean, everything science takes as absolute truth today is getting knocked around on its head, mm. you know, as quantum physics comes in and says, you know, but the the very uh, perception of the observer of the experiment can change the result of the experiment. When these things start coming up in the scientific world, I mean, you really question what is absolute truth, you know, and you get kids to start understanding that through a journey of storytelling. Absolutely. These days, children, I see uh, watching a lot of, I mean, the kind of things that they play I mean you say anything any playstation that they go to or any video that they choose to watch most of them are about uh, people running with guns right or they're chasing with a bike so it's speed and action and stuff like that on one hand when I think of it I find that it will improve their reflex if at all I mean I don't know because they are constantly on the on the remote so they are constantly trying to maneuver themselves so I believe that they will probably have a hunch of what if, what is following next. So that is some kind of development. On the other hand, what comes to me is they're constantly, I mean, look at them running. They want to reach first. They want to hit the others because those games are about you displace others, misplace others and stay ahead. How can that be very So positive? one thing is we've actually set kids up for that, right? As parents ourselves, we've set them up for competition. We want them to be first. We want them to be ahead. It's not Do about... Do we? I mean, there are, of course, there are a few people who look at it like that. But there are so many... I just wrote a blog. Are you a tiger mom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I don't disagree that it is there in us, you know. I mean, uh, the question itself reminds me of... A... You know, if, if, we have a, if we have an actor who's come as a chief guest for our concert and the kids are little toddlers, moms are pushing them ahead. <laughs> like... 
<laughs> literally pushing them ahead. When toddlers are running a race, <laughs> the people who are who seem to be more hell bent on their kids coming first are the parents, not the kids themselves. <laughs> so yes, there's a lot of that in the world. No, I'll tell you. Uh, I mean, it reminds me of one of my behavior. I always thought that I'll be a very chill out mom, not caring about where my child stands and all that. But in the school, it so happened that we went for a PTM, and uh, there were some parents sitting. I was among them, and the teacher said that he is doing pretty well. Uh, Neve knows one to ten already. He was smaller so i was happy that she is saying that my child is doing things well even though i didn't pay too much of attention but he is doing well that means everything is fine and there was this lady sitting beside she just looks at me and says 1 to 10 or what i said 1 to 10 she said oh my child knows 1 to 100 and in that particular moment it was a dung <laughs> the hall was shaking what <laughs> and within 2 seconds i came back that okay He he knows a little more. So one of your <laughs> so one of the problems you went through in that moment is you <laughs> saw your child's report card as your report card, and possibly <laughs> possibly with a little extra guilt because, as you said, you didn't always have time for him. Exactly. So we working mums carry a lot of that guilt, and then we. uh we give ourselves kudos when the kid does well and we hit ourselves or badger ourselves when the kids don't do well because we see it as a dif- direct ref- reflection of our capability exactly so that. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh, i think you're there too <laughs> <laughs> yeah that moment was a realization and that i realized that okay this happens man i mean this is not in someone's control the moment something this competitive zone the moment it comes up you immediately see yourself in a red and yellow kind of a spectrum <laughs> anyway but there are a lot of women so so oh. one is that this does come from the external world right compete be Absolutely. first um be the best um this is the definition of success um it's constantly thrown at kids um and the definition of success is always tied into their grades or or their competency or um when do we ever give kudos to a kid just because he was kind hmm. or just because he helped you know he he picked up his grandmother's bag um when do we ever give him validation and recognition in a in a in the same way we give him for coming first hmm. right so it's what we have we have earmarked as this is the rubrics for success and does my child fall into the spectrum of that so you know one is what are we choosing to have our kids play with because You know, I find it's the very same moms who come into the preschool and say, "We don't want our kids to be on tablets." And the very same mothers who, in restaurants, the kids just watching Peppa Pig while they're having a meal and talking to their friends. Mm. So, you know, there's this there's this um, hypocrisy that I see at times that um, we want them shut off. That yeah. So we want them shut off when we want them shut off, and we want them shut on when we want them. Sh- so basically, we want them to lead the life as it suits. um our uh convenience our style and you know and, and what we need at that moment but you know it technology is not an enemy mm. technology is only going to transform positively the world in which we live because a lot of the conditions and problems we've set out for ourselves will only be solved through technology mm. whether it's a lack of water or it's you know the, our seas in turmoil or whatever it is it's only the genius of man with the what he what he can create with technology that's going to solve these world mm. problems for us so it's then how we use technology i mean if you're a mom who wakes up and your child watches the first thing you do is put on your meditation app and you're meditating 
and then he watches the next thing you do is you you have a walking app or a dancing app or some exercise app and then you're doing that and then the third thing you do is you go on to Spotify and you put on some really peaceful music and you sit there and you have your coffee while you're blissed out in this musical state. And then, um, you know, he sees you look at your timetable for your productivity and to manage how you know product, productive you are in the day. And, um, and then he sees you know that you can turn your phone down because you know, you know, being indistractable is a superpower mm. today with, with so much of distraction. And he watches you do all that. He's going to follow in those footsteps. Um, if you're a mom who's, you know, binge watching Netflix and then on Facebook and then blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And, and that's the world he sees you engage in and as far as technology is concerned, then that's the way he'll go. Mm. So it's, I mean, it's up to us as to, you know, what we want. We can't tell kids um, don't lie and then the next time my mother-in-law phones up we pick up the phone and say oh, tell her I'm in the shower mm. well, well, we tell him you know say mama's in the shower so we, we can't have it both ways we either know what we value and we live by those values and then our kids will live by those values as well mm. or we're hypocrites in which case you're going to lose kids because they're going to do what they want they're going to do what they see you do not what they see you say or what they hear you say True. The next question is, you know, their response to a lot of things is very different. Something that I was talking to you about right in the beginning that, for example, one day I found that um, I was working and the rest of the people, it was getting late. So I said that you guys have your food. I'll finish this and I'll come and join. So uh, when I sat down with my food, he suddenly figured without a word from either of us, without this is definitely not my input for him but he just noticed that I my plate doesn't have cucumber cucumber is over and everybody has taken it so he just runs across to the room and picks up one one cucumber from everybody's plate and dumps it on mine without a word and when he did that I mean for a moment you don't know how to react because everybody there is your in-laws or you know so for a moment you don't know how to react you don't know whether you should thank him yeah, but then you realize that where did this guy get it from? I mean, how, why, how come he even observed? Because he's observed you do it. <laughs> you fed him before you fed yourself. Or you, or you fed your family members before you fed yourself. Um, my son will, without a blink, pick up anyone else's, you know, if you're carrying a shopping bag, mm -hmm. he will automatically take it from you because he's watched me do it with my you know mother-in-law or with older people around me he's watched me constantly do that so mm -hmm. that's what he's picked up so your son has watched you do it um he's watched you share equally um and you know be nurturing so when it came to you not having the cucumber he wanted to be nurturing back and um, my reaction would have been like a big hug and uh, giving him you know all the positive Attention, because that's a behavior you want Absolutely. to see uh, again and again in your child. Absolutely. Now, what what comes forward post this, something that really hits my mind is there are so many such things that he does. And our parenting might spoil it for them because we are constantly telling, telling them, do this, do that. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. You sh uh, be careful about this. You be a little easy on that. These kind of very, I mean, we are protective about our children. We can't help it. As much as we try, it comes to us naturally as parents. And we are very, very 
careful because they are our only children. We don't have more. How do we handle this? So I'll uh, I'll flip that for you. I'll ask you, what is your primary job as a parent? To see my child happy. No. Your primary job as a parent is to make sure your child survives. Okay. So each day you ask yourself, if I was to drop dead this moment, mm -hmm. or if I knew I was going to drop dead tomorrow, how much more independent would I want my son to be? Hmm. So our primary, uh, first, in Maslow's hierarchy or anybody else's hierarchy, your child cannot be happy if he's not surviving. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so if he doesn't know how to make his, if he doesn't know how to have his own basic needs met, including safety, protection, food, shelter, etc., etc., he can't self-actualize, right? Yeah. So before he can be happy, he has to do all these other things. Your primary job, we forget our primary job and we, because we think ourselves as more than the rest of the animal kingdom. You look at anyone in the animal kingdom, their primary job is to make sure that their offspring survive. Hmm. That's your first role as a parent. Hmm. So every time you tell your child, don't do this, or you protect or you overprotect, understand that you're not playing your primary role. The next role is to help your child thrive, which is to reach his human potential or his infinite potential that he's actually born with hmm. and for you to take it there. But the first job is to make sure if anything happens to you tomorrow, he survives. Hmm. So the more overprotective you are, the more um, risk adverse you are as a parent, the worse you're doing that role. True that. The next question is that it stems from what I asked you just now. You spoke about survival. We are taking it from there and bringing it to attitude, which is how do we shape the right attitude? I mean, when you talk about survival, I completely understand the logic that you have presented before us. But when it comes to attitude, a lot will have to be shaped. Uh, do you agree to that or no? Because what I'm... Uh, I mean, I'll just explain where, where I'm coming from. But define attitude for me. Yeah. So attitude, when it comes to something like, uh, for example, someone has misbehaved with him and he has either, the child has either come back quietly or hid back. Both of those are not the right attitude to come back with. There is something, I mean, there is something that he has to do. There is some kind of leadership trait that he has to pick up so that those traits are not repeated in his, for him at the so, same time. So in your yeah. view, what would be the right thing to do? To be very firm. I don't know how to do that because I do it in my way. I don't know whether, I mean, what to tell my child. I cannot tell my child that you should have given him one slap. I will not. At the same time, when he comes back, I'll tell you what happened. He came back and he told me that um, I didn't hit back because when he hit, it hurt. I didn't want to do the same back to him. Now, I don't have an answer for this, right? I don't want him to hit back. But then what do I tell him? Firstly, I would give kudos to his reason why he didn't hit yes. back, right? Yes. Because he's... Um, he's a very sensitive he, child. He's, he's sensitive and he's very compassionate as well. Yeah. Um, your jo job there is to coach him in the sense that if this were to happen to you again or how will you avoid this happening to you again? Because you know it hurt the first time. So how would you like to avoid it happening again? And let the answer emanate from him because you want him to take control of his existence. Mm. You don't want to be telling him how to lead his life. Mm. Um, for me, an attitudes are the habits of mind. So mm. in this case, compassion. Mm. Right. Um, it's also um, self-love. So how is he going to make sure he doesn't get hit the next time? Mm. Right. It's so, more of a leadership trait than anything else that you don't do something which is not acceptable. 
Having said that, you make sure that you are not harmed either. All right. So I don't really see that as a leadership trait. I just, I mean, this is something that you would have to coach him on. That mm. is, does he, because at the end of the day, you want him to feel in control. Yeah. Right. So the thing is not to tell him what to do. Mm. So this happened to my son. And I asked him, um, Drish, you know, if it hurt, how would you like to avoid it next time? And he said, I'm going to handle it myself. I said, do you need my help in any way? He said, no. Hmm. And then I trust him to go ahead and handle it himself, which means he just goes up to the kid next day and says, you know, I didn't hit back um, and I have not, um, you know, there's, there's been no consequences of your behavior, but I'd like you to understand that it hurt. And, you know, either I'm not going to be in your orbit at all. So however he needed to handle it, he's handled it and he's not come back with the same complaint. So the thing is to give power, give back power to your kids always. Hmm. You know, uh, because if this happens to him, then he needs to hold the power to be able to know that he's going to be able to handle it without you around. But that's just by the process of your coaching him and asking him the right questions to lead himself to the answer. Fabulous. The last question, which is one of the most important questions that I have for the day, that do we teach them what is right? Or do we teach them to run from situations because that will save them from whatever embarrassment, from being uh, harmed, whatever. What do we teach them? I come In the last episode, we had spoken about some such situation where there has been instances that people have tried to do what is right and they have been harmed and uh, probably they have succumbed. Now, as a mother, when I think about it, Obviously, I see myself in the position of their parents, that their parents had given them the best education, the best uh, inputs, that they stick to that situation and stick to what is right. But what happened to them was not the best things that should have happened, that the parents were not rewarded in the right way. So there's a couple of things. One is how you sense you're rewarded, right? Um, if your child, if, if, you're, if a child dies... Um, upholding a younger child's life mm. is that a good or a bad thing so just like I said there's no absolute truths mm. in this case also there's no absolute truths the important thing is not to imprint on your child what you believe is right and wrong Mm. Because we all believe different things are right and wrong. We all create our own moral standards. We all have make our own judgments based on those moral standards. The thing is to have the child craft for himself his own truth. And this gets done through a lot of stories. You know, and a lot of exploration. Mm. Um, you know, it's um, depending on, on, on what issue you're trying to uh, explore. Mm. There are a thousand stories that because we're not first time parents, it's generations of parents before us. And many of them have written stories based on these things. So there is no absolute right. Um, there's only exploration under this circumstance. What would you do? I mean, is my son being vegetarian right or wrong? You know, is someone being vegan right or wrong? Is someone being non-vegetarian right or wrong? I, I think that's for the child to come to. Um, and understanding after we help him explore all possibilities. And, um, you know, I've done that with my son and my son smokes. Uh, but 
my primary thing is for him not to lie to me, to be able to come to me and explore anything with me. Mm. So when he came to me with this, um, um, I did a whole lot of research with him. I also got him to understand that smoking is just a form of meditation. So you could replace it with meditation and things would be fine. Um, now, I'll not always get the outcome that I would desire or mm. I think is right. But it's important for me to not have him live through my eyes. True that. So I, I, our job is just to explore with the, our kids and let them come to their own conclusions, you know. Um, and in that process, if, you know, so, some kids get, you know, I think the example you're giving is that the parents don't win because the child is hurt yes, or damaged I mean, at the those end. Those cases were uh, were very, many, uh, the kind of person that I am, I was totally, totally, I thought and overthought and overthought and it was a difficult time for me to process that. that kind but of just think about how history has changed because somebody stood up for the, for somebody else's rights. True that. You know, no and and may have even died in the process. But that's but has created history and created a legacy for himself or herself. The parents may not be very happy, but the, the importance is that the child took the decision or the adult took the decision himself based on his own uh, understanding of what's right and what's wrong and his own value system and his own everything else. You know, um, I talked to my brother about my one of the things we do need to do with kids is to help them define their values. So my, our highest on my values is peace, hmm. right? And then every decision I take is easy because I know that that's what I value highest. So my brother says, I'm buying you a Mercedes-Benz car. I said, no, because my highest value is peace. There's no peace on Indian roads. And every time <laughs> the car gets hit, you know, I'm, I, it's not going to be peaceful for me. Yeah. For, my, for me, when I mean peace, I'm not just talking about world peace. I'm talking about my inner peace, my own calm. Um, I won't wear real diamonds and gold and everything because I want peace. I don't want to be running around, uh, locking it up and scared it gets stolen and worried about it and everything. So I'll value peace, my inner peace over all these external things. My younger brother still does it. And he says, Lena, when will I get there? And I said, you'll get there in your own time. And if you need to get there, I mean, we all have to define our own values. You don't live your life based on my values. You live them based on your own values. <laughs> if you value a Maserati car, please go and have it. <laughs> Through that, Lena, I had a great time talking to you and thank you so much for making time and coming here. I really had a very, very insightful discussion. Thank you so much. Dear listeners, please do reach out to us with your thoughts on hello at icafepodcasts.com if there's something significant that you have to share, which benefits our audience, we will invite you to speak on our show. Bradishwar Diaries is brought to you by iCafe Podcast. Please subscribe to www.icafepodcasts.com or hear us on all other audio apps. Stay tuned with us. We are brewing this on iCafe Podcast. <laughs>